Happy Tuesday, everyone. Karen Fontenot here welcoming you to another episode of Genesis on Tuesday, where we study the great first book of the Bible, the book of beginnings, Genesis, where we find every doctrine of scripture included in this book, along with God's great plan of redemption for us in and through Jesus Christ. Now, let's get right into the content. Genesis chapter 1 and verse 9. And God said, Let the waters under the heaven be gathered together into one place, and let the dry land appear. And it was so. Verse 10. And God called the dry land earth, or Eretz in Hebrew, and the gathering together of the waters called he seas. And God saw that it was good. Verse 11, and God said, let the earth bring forth grass, the herb yielding seed, and the fruit tree yielding fruit after his kind, whose seed is in itself upon the earth, and it was so. Verse 12, and the earth brought forth grass and herb yielding seed after his kind, and the tree yielding fruit, whose seed was in itself, after his kind, and God saw that it was good. Verse 13, and the evening and the morning were the third day. Open our eyes, O Lord, we pray that we may behold great and wondrous things out of thy law on this as we study the great third day which is the day of resurrection in jesus name amen at the beginning of the second day you'll remember that god what he had to work with was the light that he had separated from the darkness and starting the second day he had to do the work of dividing the waters because he had that giant flood there and I would like to just say if I didn't say it before that the waters that he was dealing with there in the Hebrew uh, when I look at the Hebrew word these were nasty waters. Uh, Remember that, you know, there had been a curse on the earth, you know, that verse 2 talks about the chaos and um, that the earth was in, and it was quite terrible. And the, uh, some of the words in Hebrew to describe the waters are not pleasant words at all. And I might just say that one of them, one of the words, was even piss. Yes, P-I-S-S. Awful, awful. Uh, Maybe, uh, I tell you what, I'm sure that that has really whet everybody's appetite. But I, at the end of the message, I'll go back and say what these waters were. Well, let me go ahead and just go to the Hebrew now. 
because everybody's really curious at this point. Because we did say, after all, that here, beginning with verse 2 of Genesis, God is having to go about recreating or fixing what is a terribly messed up situation that was not what he originally created. And so to the Hebrew word for waters, in which is referred to several times before we uh, began today as we did in verse nine. But here is the transliteration. It is the Hebrew word mayim, M as in Mary, A-Y-I-M, so there's the I-M again, meaning it's plural, waters. And here is the definition, water, waters, water of the feet, urine, of danger, violence, transitory things, refreshment, origin, dual of a primitive noun, but used in a singular sense, water, figuratively juice, by euphemism, urine, semen, plus sign, piss, wasting water, coarse flood, spring, close quote. So that's, it just tells you, gives us an idea of what God is working with here. And so if we can just get back to the lesson, pardon the interruption, if you will, but, well, I guess it isn't really an interruption. It's getting to the actual Hebrew of the waters and telling us what they were or what had become of them. But after God had successfully divided the waters on the second day into, because it was a flood, so he created the heaven, the firmament, to put an expanse there between the waters to divide them. He's got waters above and waters beneath or waters below and then on the third day he says verse 9 and God said let the waters under the heaven so the waters that are under the heaven the waters have been divided there's the heaven the expanse in the middle and then there's the waters under the heaven but those waters are still covering the earth so at the beginning of the third day the waters or the earth is still buried underneath the waters okay so verse 9 God says let the waters under the heaven be gathered together into one place and let the dry land appear and it was so now you know the dry land is translated earth and indeed you know Genesis 1 1 where it says in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth it could have it could read uh, that God created the heaven and the dry land because earth and dry land is the same thing earth is not the earth was originally created dry for it to become wet 
are flooded for the earth to become flooded was um, the work of the curse or it was the work of judgment that had come but it was not originally created that way so God says let the dry land appear now I would like to take you to the book of Job where he takes us behind the scenes and he lets us see um, a different or a better look at what God did here in chapter 38 of Job he God answers Job out of the whirlwind he appears to him out of the whirlwind and begins to talk with him and the money quote as it were that I'm wanting to get to is verse 11 but I will just start by verse um, in out of verse 4 where God begins to talk to Job and he says where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth declare if you have understanding verse 5 who has laid the measures thereof if you know or who has stretched the line upon it whereupon verse 6 whereupon are the foundations thereof fastened or who laid the cornerstone of the earth boy that's powerful stuff and these are very interesting questions verse 7 when the morning stars sang together and all the sons of God shouted for joy or who shut up the sea with doors when it break forth as if it had issued out of the womb when I made the cloud the garment thereof so he made the cloud that's I think going back to the separation of the waters he's you know made the clouds a garment for part of the waters and thick darkness a swaddling band for it verse 10 and break up for it my decreed place now there you go the decreed place and set bars and doors and verse 11 and said hitherto shall you come but no further and here shall thy proud waves be stayed so there here it says that you know God um, so you see when God commanded the waters to go into one place and for the dry land to come forth so this is how he did it at least in part from what he tells us he set doors upon the waters and stops and uh, and he made a decree so he did it with his word he set bars and doors and then he told it here to shall you come so he made a mark on the land or on the dry ground and he said here too shall you come but no further and here shall your proud waves be stayed and I will tell you I that is something I think about every single time that I ever go to the beach which is at the ocean is one of my favorite places in the world I've there are beaches on uh, Santa Monica Beach, Laguna Beach in California. I just, 
I still have dreams about it to this day since I don't I don't think I've been there since 1996 maybe it's been a long time um, but then on the East Coast um, uh, Fort Lauderdale is one of my favorites I like um, I like Fort Lauderdale Beach a lot Miami Beach so-so but the Gulf Coast anyway but every time I'm there I look at those waves and you know it's you just see the Word of God in action right in front of your eyes that the waters the waves they're very proud and mighty as he says in verse 11 but they go to a certain point and then they stop and they go back but uh, he's saying that the waters are no longer going to cover the earth. So then he says, while we're at it, I would say since we're here in Job chapter 38, there is something that he says that I wanna to refer to just briefly in verse 19. Do you remember in the previous lesson when you know God divided the light and the dark and I had said something to the effect that, you know, when, um, when the when the light comes then what happens to the darkness I said well I don't know where it went but when the light comes it isn't there anymore well in this 38th chapter of Job God continues to speak and he says in verse 19 he asked Job this question where is the way where light dwells and as for darkness where is the place thereof that you should take it to the bound thereof that you should know the paths to the house thereof so there's a house storage places for the light and for the darkness in the earth my goodness fascinating but anyway going back god divided at his word he separated these waters. He commanded them to go into place so that the dry land can appear. That is resurrection. The dry earth coming forth. The waters parting and the dry earth coming forth and being seen. The land being seen, the land rising up from beneath. Thank God for resurrection established from the foundation of the world on the third day. Hallelujah, hallelujah. There are two different third days that we can discuss here just briefly. On the first third day, which is the literal third day, we see the dry land coming forth. We see uh, the earth bringing forth plants yielding seeds, trees bearing fruit, and then herbs yielding seed. So you see, or we see the vegetation sprouting forth all things that have seed within themselves now again it's in springing forth on the third day so the plant kingdom 
is so the earth brings forth the plant kingdom on the third day or the first third day plant kingdom now it is interesting that on the second third day which would be day six we see the earth bring forth another will bring forth the animal kingdom on the second third day and we'll get to that later but we see the animals come for come forth likewise out of the same earth and then of course at the on the second half now God made the animals the first half of the sixth day but then the second half of the sixth day the last creative work the last item or put it this way that for whom the entire creation was for was brought forth last and that is the man now something was seen on the third day which hadn't been seen before something was uncovered it was the earth which was there all the time but we just couldn't see it because the water the waters were moved out of the way so that it could come forth and be revealed and this is also a this principle is set forth in the scriptures and we're going to talk about that now do you recall how uh jesus um when he when his parents took him to jerusalem for the feast uh the annual feast and he went missing and it says that after three days luke 2 46 after three days they found him in the temple there's that third day again in the 22nd chapter of genesis god gives Abraham an instruction and he tells him to take his son Isaac uh, and to take him up to the land of Moriah and offer him for a burnt offering he said on one of the mountains that I will tell you of so he didn't tell him which and it says Abraham rose up early in the morning and went on as God told him. And then in verse four says, then on the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place afar off. So God just told him, I'll tell you, or I'll show you which one. And on the third day, he revealed to him the one. On that very same third day, of Abraham and his son going up to Mount Moriah, something else came forth which was not seen or revealed previously, and that was a ram caught in the thicket. Abraham, God provided that ram, and he told Abraham, offer that instead of your son. Don't offer Isaac, offer the ram. So there was the substitute. The ram was there. When he first got there, he didn't see it. When they first got there, he didn't see it. And we know he didn't because his son asked, 
well, I, I, I see the wood and uh, the altar for the sacrifice, but well, where is the lamb? So there wasn't any animal. So the ram wasn't there. But after he had obeyed God, then boom, it appeared. It was suddenly there. That also happened on the third day. Hallelujah. God gives Moses an instruction in the 19th chapter of Exodus, beginning in verse 10. He says, And the Lord said unto Moses, Go unto the people, and sanctify them today and tomorrow, and let them wash their clothes, and be ready against the third day. For the third day the Lord will come down in the sight of all the people upon Mount Sinai. So there again, he's coming on the third day. Another aspect of the third day is a seeming separation from visible material in the world around you by darkness. For example, consider the darkness of Egypt in the ninth plague. That's Exodus 10, verse 22 and 23. The plague of darkness lasted three days. The earth was completely dark when Jesus was on the cross for three hours. Matthew 27 and verse 45 tells us that. In Acts chapter 9, verse 9, Saul of Tarsus, after meeting Jesus Christ on the road to Damascus, was blind for three days before the prophet Ananias was sent to him to pray and to heal him. You know, there is something about the third day, and to, there's something about the uh, removal of the waters uh, that seems to be symbolic from a doctrinal standpoint of a a clearing or a um, a removal of that which constricts or blocks our view or a removal of that which confuses and uh, blocks or inhibits the understanding in some way because things, there is a breaking forth on the third day and it doctrinally, uh, we see that throughout the scriptures. And I mean, I started investigating it and looking through it and I have to tell you, there are far, far too many even to name, but it is throughout the scriptures and I think probably especially the First Testament or Old Testament for the reason that, you know, it speaks of the third day in references so often, but because it is concealed and it's a truth that will be uh, later revealed in the New Covenant in Jesus Christ. But to give some more examples here, Genesis 31 and verse 22 tells us that, uh, now this is talking about how Jacob 
uh, fleed or fled from Levon, his father-in-law, who cheated him, kept changing his wages and all of these kinds of things. Well, Jacob fled from him and it was on the third day that Levon was told that Jacob had fled. Exodus 19 and verse 15, Moses said to the people, be ready for the third day. Do not go near a woman. So they're preparing themselves for the third day. In the 42nd chapter of Genesis, Joseph's brothers had gone to Egypt to get food to eat during the famine. Now, they didn't know that it was their brother Joseph who was in charge, but in verse 18 of chapter 42, Joseph, it tells us that Joseph had put his brothers into prison, and it was a test that he was putting them through, but he kept them in the prison for three days. Now Joseph said to them on the third day, do this and live for I fear God. So there was a release on the third day. After the death of Moses in Joshua chapter one, God tells Joshua he's, that Moses, his servant is dead. He said, now therefore arise you and all these people and cross over the Jordan into the land that I am giving to you. And so Joshua commanded the officers in chapter, or excuse me, verse 10. And in the command that Joshua gave the officers in verse 11, he says, tell the people, pass through the host and command the people saying, prepare your victuals, victuals for within three days, you shall pass over this Jordan to go in to possess the land which the Lord your God gives you to possess it. In 2 Kings chapter 20, when ailing King Hezekiah had received Isaiah the prophet into the palace and the prophet told him to, that surely he would die and told him to get his affairs in order. But then Hezekiah cried out to the Lord and in verse 5 of chapter 20, God speaks to Isaiah and he says this, Return and say to Hezekiah, the leader of my people, Thus says the Lord, the God of your father David, I have heard your prayer. I have seen your tears. Behold, I will heal you. On the third day, you shall go up to the house of the Lord. In the fifth chapter of the book of Esther, verse one, Queen Esther with the Israeli people, her people being in peril of being wiped out by the hands of a wicked Haman and his vicious plots. She asked the people to fast and to pray for her. And verse one of chapter five says, now it came about on the third day that Esther put on her royal robes and stood in the inner court of the king's palace in front of the king's rooms. Amen. And the royal scepter, as we know, was extended to her 
and her life was spared and likewise the whole nation of Israel spared alive. Now probably the most notable and the most prophetic of all of the third day references is that of Jonah who was in the belly of the great fish for three days and three nights. St. Matthew chapter 12 and verse 40 speaks to this great prophecy which is a, a sign which was to be fulfilled and was fulfilled in Jesus Christ. And he says, for as Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights, so will the Son of Man be in the heart of the earth three days and three nights. Now that's very telling how that, you know, um, Jonah was in the belly of a fish, which the waters or the, the oceans, the seas, that's sea level anyway. I mean, you're at, you know, I mean, you're already at the, in the lowest parts of the earth right there. And then to go into the belly of a fish, you know, you just can't get, I mean, I don't know how deeper into the earth you can get than that. And in indeed, Messiah was buried literally in the earth. But thank God, because of the pattern set forth in Genesis, that God from the foundation of the world, he set it in place that on the third day, the dry land would come forth. And we are, you know, this flesh, this is earth. And when we pray, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. It doesn't actually say on earth, it says in earth. So one of the things he's speaking to directly is in us. So we are earth. So Jesus Christ, it is written that this flesh, our flesh, this earth will rise on the third day. Hallelujah. One of the most beautiful passages of scripture, which I love so much in Hosea, the sixth chapter, he says these prophetic words. Verse one. Come and let us return unto the Lord, for he has torn and he will heal us. He has smitten and he will bind us up. Verse 2, after two days he will revive us. In the third day he will raise us up and we shall live in his sight. Hallelujah. Then again, back to the New Testament, when these things begin to, or this third day prophecy begins to be spoken of by Messiah himself. And in Matthew chapter 16 and verse 21, it says this, from that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and the chief priests and scribes and be killed and be raised up on the third day. If I might just say, just as a, an aside here, Jesus says here that he would suffer many things, but he, he 
said that it would come at the hands of three different groups of people. But notice who they are. The elders, the chief priests, and the scribes. All religious people who should have known who he is. These men who know the law so well, they all should have known exactly who he was and who he is, but they didn't. And it didn't say that the tax collectors went after him and the alcoholics and the harlots and so on, but it was the religious people. I just find that very interesting and say that for what it's worth. In the gospel accounts, we see many, many references and many times that Jesus says these very things. Uh, Matthew 17, just one chapter over in verse 23, uh, Jesus said again, and they will kill him and he will be raised on the third day. And his disciples were deeply grieved. Matthew 20 and 19, and will hand him over to the Gentiles to mock and scourge and crucify him. And on the third day, he will be raised up. Luke 9:22, saying, this is Jesus talking, the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and be raised up on the third day. Now these things, it, it seems that, you know, goodness, why does he say it over and over and over? But you know, Christ is the fulfillment of those things, the prophecies and the words which had been spoken and spoken and spoken and spoken. And in fact, it had been spoken forth and established. And in fact, you know, the scripture says that uh, two is a witness and three is a confirmation. So, uh, or it says, let every word be established out of the mouth of two or three witnesses. So Messiah, rising from the dead on the third day was spoken really even out of the mouth of far more than three witnesses, but it was spoken again and again and again. And so, and the earth made a record of it and that word kept going forth and going forth and going forth that that harvest had to come forth and Messiah had to come forth and be raised on the third day, which he did as a matter of fact the angels who attended his resurrection couldn't have been more clear. And I love the way they stated it to the women who came to the sepulcher. Let's read out of Matthew chapter 28, starting at verse one. In the end of the Sabbath, as it began to dawn toward the first day of the week, came Mary Magdalene and the other Mary. <laughs> I love that, and the other Mary to see the sepulcher. Verse two, and behold, there was a great earthquake for the angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone from the door and sat upon it. I'm just gonna roll this big giant stone back and sit on it. You know, I just get the picture of him uh, 
t touching his hands together and as to wipe off the dust of that big rock and sitting on it saying, this is quick work. Verse three, his countenance was like lightning and his raiment white as snow. And for fear of him, the keepers did shake and became as dead men. And the angel answered and said unto the women, listen, fear you not, for I know that you seek Jesus, which was crucified. He is not here, for he is risen as he said. Come see the place where the Lord lay. Then they went on to tell him, now go quickly and tell his disciples that he is risen from the dead and behold, he goes before you into Galilee. There you shall see him. Lo, I have told you. So you, you see, Jesus, he had to say it. This is going to happen, but I'm getting up on that third day. He had to say it. He had to say it so that the scriptures would be fulfilled. Oh, the scriptures, the scriptures the scriptures. So, so important. And even to call them important is an understatement, actually. They are the words of God breathed out of his own mouth. And some of them he actually wrote with his own finger on the Mount Sinai with Moses. He actually wrote that the fire of God, he wrote with his own finger, the Decalogue. But all of them, each word breathed out of his own mouth, heard by the writers who wrote them down. The scripture tells us that in the book of Timothy, all scripture is inspired of God, inspired, inspired, breathed out, all of them and all of them are profitable for instruction, reproof and righteousness. Isaiah says that no word of God is void of power. And just as the uh, rain falls from heaven to the earth and it waters the ground, so shall the word be that comes out of the mouth of God that it shall not return to him void. Well, no, they don't. Have you ever seen rain go? Have you ever seen it rain in reverse? No, the rain doesn't fall from the sky and then go back from the earth, right back up to the sky again. No, so is the word of God. You know, we are never wrong to quote the word. It is no wonder that it is written, let God be true. Let God be true. Let the words of the Holy Writ, let the scriptures be true and every man a liar. Amen. Finally, let's go to the wonderful passage in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, written by the great Apostle Paul. 
under inspiration of the Holy Spirit, saying, beginning in verse 1, Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel which I preached unto you, which also you have received, and wherein you stand, by which also you are saved, if you keep in memory what I preached unto you, unless you have believed in vain. Verse 3, this is important. For I delivered unto you, first of all, that which I also received. What did you receive, sir? How that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried and that he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. Verse 13, but if there be no resurrection of the dead, then is Christ not risen. And if Christ be not risen, then is our preaching vain, and your faith is also vain. Verse 19, if in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men most miserable. Verse 20, but, but now is Christ risen from the dead and become the first fruits of them that slept. For since by man came death, by man came also the resurrection of the dead. Hallelujah, glory be to God. Verse 22, for as in Adam or Adam all die, even so in Christ shall all be made alive, but every man in his own order, Christ the firstfruits, afterward they that are Christ's at his coming. And let me end by just saying, as the apostle there mentioned, Christ being the firstfruits of creation, we're going to talk later at some point. We are going to get into the feasts of the Lord. Those of you, if you have any knowledge at all about the Jewish feasts, uh, it is no coincidence, shall we say, that the third of the feast, do you have any guess as to what the third feast is? Well, it is the feast of the first fruits. <laughs> For on the third day, Christ arose, and he is the first fruits of them who sleep, the first fruit, the first of the new creation. He is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Blessed be his holy name. May God add a blessing to the reading and the hearing of his word. And our heavenly Father, thank you forever and from age to age to age to come. We thank you. We can never thank you enough, Heavenly Father, for the third day which you set forth from the foundation of the world in which you declared that man shall not die, but that 
he shall live again. We shall not be eternally lost. For as it is written, you are not willing that any should perish. Thank you for making a way, Heavenly Father, for all men to be saved. Thank you for the third day. Amen. I am adding a postscript here to our podcast as we surely cannot have any type of discussion on the third day without, and this is surely one that was in my notes, but I missed and passed over it somehow, but we must mention John chapter 2, the wedding feast at Cana in the Galilee on the third day, the very first miracle of Jesus, where, as we know, on the third day of the week, he, uh, his mother is invited to a wedding uh, in, in which she appears to have a principal role of somehow. It is widely believed that this was a close family relation who was marrying on this day. So Jesus was invited, as were his disciples, and so he went. And as we know, the wine ran out. So the mother of the Lord went to him and told him, they have no more wine. And he initially told her that his hour had not come and it wasn't quite time for him to display and to show forth his glory. But, but as we know, he was entreated either by her or the scripture says that he perfectly pleased his father. So I believe that father told him, son, it's all right. I give you permission to go ahead and do this. Amen. But suffice it to say, this first miracle uh, done by Messiah on the third day, and it is a miracle of such proportion. It is one where he shows forth a mastery over the element of water, insofar as not only does he change it entirely, he just, he, he chemically and he uh, alters and indeed he transforms it entirely into something else. So he shows mastery not only over the element of water as well as over time. This is a miracle of time where he, uh, well, he, 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 he exalts himself over time because I don't know much about the winemaking process, but I do know enough to know that wine is not generated immediately. Uh, and it's not something that is made quickly like that, just in the harvesting of the grapes and the what time of fermentation of the wine and so forth, that it is a period at a minimum, I would guess, would be several weeks at a minimum. 
and perhaps even more likely a period of months. But here he is Lord over time, which actually in the truest sense is what a miracle really is, is a miracle is just to strip away time. Uh, if a person has an arm that is operated on, a broken arm, uh, has surgery on it, and physicians say that you're looking at a 12-week recovery, well, a miracle is just to wipe out the recovery time and says, well, you know, it's not going to be 12 weeks, but or even 12 minutes. Let's just reduce it to no time at all. Let's just take care of that, boom, right now. Well, that's what a miracle is, just to take time away. And the Lord Jesus did just that. And the fact, it is also no small thing at all. And I believe clearly notable or of special note in his first miracle that something is materially changed. Water is not merely presented in another or a different form, but it is changed materially and substantively into something that did not exist before. It is a complete transformation, which uh, seems to be evocative of the new life in Christ, of what happens to us, that the first miracle in our lives when we come to the Lord Jesus Christ and we become, uh, you know, you were a sinner, but now you're a completely new creature. You are a transformed individual, someone who did not exist before. But praise be to God for this third uh, for the first miracle of the Lord Jesus at the wedding at Cana of Galilee on the third day. Thank you for joining us today. We hope you enjoyed the lesson. See you again next week.